I appreciated Todd's comments about our trip together. I'll tell you this, um, traveling together makes for good friends or dire enemies. <laughs> and I, I will say Todd and I were close, but we got even closer. In fact, we got so close. Three of us rode in the back seat of a Ford Escape. Todd was on one side, another guy bigger than me was on the other side, and I was sitting in the middle. Now, I did that because, number one, I'm the skinniest, and I'd rather be pressed against padding on either side than be <laughs> pressed against a door. But, Nita, I, I rode like this most of the way there. It took a while to straighten up after that was over. But no, I, I got to brag on Todd. He took good care of the old man. And Shelley had threatened him if he didn't take care of the old man that she would kill him when he got back. But <laughs> it was a good trip. And I appreciate Todd's comments. It, it was ingratiating to look across the, the crowd of 55 and to see that a huge majority of those had been people that I'd had the opportunity, the privilege of pouring into their lives. One of the things that happened, we were in the great northwest, beautiful areas, the snow, the mountains, and, and you know, you think of the city of Seattle and the city of Everett and all just the metro area that's there. It's amazing. But one of the things I found out, Bobby Ball was talking about something that happened at their church plant in Yelm, and I said, you had something like that here in, in the Pacific Northwest? And he said, oh, listen, there are hillbillies everywhere. <laughs> and, I, you know, that's something I found out when we were working in Indiana. I, I've, I've discovered on the north side of Indianapolis, it, those are Yankees. On the south side, those are rednecks. And I was, I was thinking, I'm just sort of surprised that in Yelm, Washington, there are rednecks. And I thought about Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff Foxworthy, you will remember, had that thing, you might be a redneck if, right? I remember a few of those, and I'll give every one of these. None of these are mine, Carter. All of these are from Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a redneck if you're trying to decide whether to take the wheels off of your house or not. <laughs> some of you will get that. Uh, some of these apply to me, right, Brenda? Yeah. <clears throat> you might be a redneck if you mow the grass and you find two junk cars in your yard. Quite unexpectedly, by the way. You might be a redneck if you go to family reunions looking for dates. <laughs> if, if that hits home to you, my apologies. <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about, and I wanted Charlotte to review the sermon from last week just a little bit, because we're talking about mammon is a mean master. And the, the sermon last week it is mammon, that is money or wealth, is mammon your master? And so like Jeff Foxworthy, I came up with some 
ideas of how you might recognize if mammon is your master or not. You might be a slave to mammon if you're more concerned about your clothes, cars, and nice house than you are about a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whoa, I didn't get any laughter from that, did I? That's sort of serious. You might be a slave to mammon if you can afford a nice vacation, you know, Disney, a cruise, but you can't afford to tithe to your church. Ooh. You might be a slave to mammon if you're never satisfied with what you have, but always want more. Somebody asked a very rich man, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name, which one it was, but this actually happened. How much money is enough? And he said, a little bit more. It's just always a little bit more. If you are owned by your wealth, if you are a slave to mammon, you always want just a little bit more. But listen, God does not want you to be a slave to money. He saved you to set you free. By the way, I want you to hear that. God intends for you, when you come to Him and you find salvation, He intends for you to be free. Free from every addiction. That means if you're addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to gambling, to whatever, God does not want you to be a slave to sin anymore. He wants to set you free. If He brought you here today to hear that one statement, you hear me, God does not want you to be a slave, neither to education nor occupation, he wants you to be free. And God has given you money to enable you to serve Him. Not mammon, God. Jesus Christ. God has put His wealth in your pocket. And He is waiting to see how you will respond, whether you will be faithful or not, whether you will worship Him or worship your wealth and your possessions. God wants you to be free. He wants you to make mammon serve you. That's the, the message today. Make mammon serve you. Now, this, this passage, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13 is a hard parable to understand. I've leaned a bit on Charles Swindoll and his books and writings. I've always been a fan of Chuck Swindoll. Back when I was a bivocational pastor long ago, driving the office supply truck early in the morning, I would listen to Chuck Swindoll. Um, and, and I will tell you, between Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll is the one who taught me to use practical preaching and practical illustrations. Now, there's some of the others that taught me to preach loud, but Chuck Swindoll taught me to preach practical. 
And so I've leaned on him a little bit for the explanation. Even he says, I mean, oh, did you hear what was said? This guy's a crook. He was an unfaithful servant. He was unscrupulous. He was a crook. And he got caught. His master had heard that he was pilfering from the, from the till, that he was stealing from his employer, that he was unscrupulous, and he was going to audit the books. And so the guy began to scramble, and he started giving away his master's wealth. Ginger, he would say to the one that owed a hundred talents, turn around and write 50. Is that honest? Well, of course not. Um, and, and, and so, even then, when it was all said and done, the master complimented him on being shrewd, being sneaky. What in the world kind of parable is that? Well, for one thing, you have to understand that the parable, because Jesus had just shared the parable about forgiveness, and now he is comparing the, the difference between our worldly system and the heavenly kingdom. And he's saying, this is how it's different, but this is how it's similar. There are examples from the secular world that we can use. Now, the principle is not, be dishonest. That's not what he's teaching. He's making a point that there is a difference. He also pointed out that both the master and the manager were using unrighteous mammon. They were both unscrupulous. That was the point. One was doing the other as the other was doing to the one. And they were both using shrewd tactics, the tactics of this world, not of the kingdom of God. The unscrupulous manager, Swindoll says, applied the first rule of politics. Always be generous with other people's money. Amen? I, I don't know where Corey is. I can't find him in the crowd. But Corey said something about that in Sunday school this morning. And it's all I could do to keep from saying, just listen to the message this morning. You'll, you'll hear that again. Always be generous with other people's money. But listen, the point is, God wants you to make mammon serve you. Listen, He has given you your wealth and your possessions so that you can use them for His honor and His glory. Not for you to bow down to them. Not for you to make your possessions and your wealth more important to you than God is. Don't ever forget that. By the way, I want to say this. this. You know, when a Baptist preacher starts preaching about money, he gets worried. Will people come when they find out that he's preaching about money? But I've got, I want to remind you again, as I did last week, that Jesus had more to say about our finances than he did about prayer or heaven. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be. You see, your attitude about your wealth demonstrates who you really are. And this series about money and finance and mammon is a mean master 
is not to get into your pocketbook. It's to help change your attitude about that wealth and how you handle your money. I am not going to preach every Sunday for five weeks about giving to the church. Now, it may fall in there somewhere. But my point is not give, 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 give. It's honor God with your wealth. And don't be a slave to mammon. Because mammon is a mean master. And you and I need to learn how to make mammon serve us. Instead of us serving money or mammon. So how do you make mammon serve you? Number one. Use your wealth for good and for God. Don't be selfish with it. Don't invest your wealth in things that are evil, crooked, sin. Don't invest your wealth in things that would shame God. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others. And to make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now we're going to talk about that last part in a minute. But I'm talking about using your wealth for good and for God. In Acts chapter 20, and I quoted this last week, Paul said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of Hard work, we must help the weak. Jonathan, why you work hard? It's not so that you can load up with possessions. It's so that you can help others. Our problem, Todd, is that we think that our life consists of the things we possess. And if that's true, I probably should have added that, Joe. If, if that's your attitude, that our life consists, says that what's really important is life is our possessions. We're slaves to mammon, right? And so we, I said last week what Jesus was saying to the rich man in Luke chapter 12, attitude adjustment. That's exactly what he was saying to him. And that's what this whole series is about, for us to see how God wants us to look at the things He has given us. Joe, everything we've got has come from God. There's not a single thing that we own that God did not give us. A friend of mine once said, and I think this is wise, never let the things that God has given you keep you from serving God. That happens all the time. We use the gifts from God that God has given us as an excuse not to serve God. Don't do that. Make mammon serve you. Don't serve mammon. He said, and this is what I quoted last week, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Use what God has given you for good. Now that doesn't, that's not just limited to church. I need you to understand that. If if you see someone that you can help, I, I saw a video on Facebook. Yeah, I, I, I look at Facebook occasionally. But I saw a video on Facebook, and it took me a minute, Jenny, to get it. 
because this, this girl stopped, and of course she's on Facebook, so she's dressed, you know. Anyway, so she bent down and tied a guy's shoe. And I thought, what's that all about? And then, Gail, I noticed his empty sleeve. He only had one arm. And she saw that, saw that his shoe was untied, and stopped and tied his shoe. Now, Kim and Kim, the truth is, um, a one-armed man learns how to tie his shoe with one hand. I know that. I had shoulder surgery, and a one-armed man fussed at me for having other people tie my shoe. And he said, you can do that. You quit letting them tie your shoe. You tie your own shoe. I learned how to tie my shoe one-handed with my left hand. But the, the point of the story is you see someone, Adam, with a need, and you fulfill the need. She didn't spend a penny. All she spent was time and a little bit of humility, Dennis, to get down on her knee and tie a guy's shoe who only had one arm. Look for people. Look for the weak and use the opportunity to share them. In Ephesians 4 Verse 28, Paul said, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Look for somebody that has a real need and give them not what they want, but what they really need. Use your money for good and for God and you will tame mammon. Instead of him ruling over you. You see, the tithe is only 10%. And that belongs to God. I've talked about that. That's not the point today. The point is, God is watching you to see how you use the other 90%. We should not give the 10% to God, and then turn around and use the other 90% to serve Satan. We will answer to God for how we've used all of it. And we need to bless God, we need to praise God, we need to serve God, and glorify God with how we use the rest of it. Every time we make a decision... We must ask ourselves, is he pleased with how I use my money? Now, Todd's already said that does not mean you can't take a vacation. After you've given your tithes and your offerings, it's okay. I think God is pleased when we observe the Sabbath because he did. Right? In six literal days, he created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. That doesn't mean that, that I can't have decent food and, and a nice house over my head. It's just that I cannot and must not be satisfied with that alone. I need to be willing, John, to help others, to be generous with the weak, to help those who need, who honestly need help. Is God pleased with the rest? The way to tame mammon is to use the wealth. Use your money for good. For good things. And for God and His glory. And then number two, how do you 
make mammon serve you. Use your wealth for your eternal home. Here's the lesson. I didn't say that. This is the words of Jesus. Here's the lesson. Jesus said, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone. What does that mean? When your earthly possessions are gone. That's death. Listen, this world is passing away. It'll all be burned up and none of it will be left. And you cannot take it with you. So when all of this is gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. What does that mean? That means, Dwayne, that those into whom I've poured my life and my ministry, who make it to heaven before I do, will be waiting there to welcome me home. That person that you witnessed to about Jesus, who got saved, will be there to say thank you for sharing the gospel with me. That missionary that you supported to preach the gospel in the regions beyond will be waiting there to welcome you home to an eternal kingdom and to eternal possessions. The unscrupulous manager did what he did so that when his job was taken from him, he would have a place to live. We do the same. You can't take your wealth with you when you die into the head. You, last week I said, the one who holds on to his life and his possessions loses it all. But the things that you give to God you get to keep forever. Invest in an eternal kingdom. Jesus said to that young man who came running up to him, sell your positions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. The purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. I've already said that this world and everything in it is passing away. What kind of treasure, what kind of reward have you sent on to heaven? What investment have you made in heaven? By the way, that last verse, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Does the way we spend our money indicate that we are heavenly minded? I got to be honest and transparent with you. I wrote that and I sat there for a long time staring at the computer screen. That's a hard question even for me. In everything, Benjamin, that I spend and everything I do, am I really, am I really heavenly minded? I know I'm at the age, along with some of you, we're looking to the future and retirement 
and what will we live on when we retire? Nancy kept telling me, I've, I mentioned that occasionally, and she said, you'll have more then than you have now. Well, praise God, I hope that's true. The danger for us who are not yet there, Nancy, is that we worry about it so much that we become earthly-minded instead of heavenly-minded. Thank you for that reminder. See, it's not just for you. I'm preaching to me, too. Does the way, Kelly, that we spend our money, that we use our resources, indicate that we're heavenly-minded? The way to tame mammon and make him serve us is to use our wealth for our eternal home. doesn't mean we don't live here, but it means that our focus is not in the temporary, but in the eternal. Then number three, use your wealth to prove your faithfulness. He says in those verses, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you with greater in little things, who will give you greater responsibilities? You with great responsibilities won't be honest, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Wow, I could make my whole sermon just right there. I'm not, I'm not going to preach a separate sermon on this, but this is huge. But Roger, the question that I had to ask myself, is it possible that God has not given us more wealth because we've not proven ourselves faithful with what He has given us? Wow. Why do we not have more? Maybe it's because God knows we couldn't handle it. That we would not be stewards with it. Maybe it even means, Clint, that we haven't been faithful with what He gave us. So why should He give us more? That's an encouragement for us to be faithful. Even in the little things. And the thing is, we say, well, it doesn't matter because it's something small. Did you get that? If you're not faithful with the little things, that means you would not be faithful if you were a millionaire. If you're not faithful for the little bit, then you're not going to be faithful with the big things. We need to understand that. God is testing us. He's watching us. He wants to see, are you faithful when no one's looking? Are you faithful when you're the only one that knows how you're spending your money and what you're doing? Listen, our integrity is tested every day. Don's sitting over there. I know when he's in the crowd. Thank you, Don. But I hear him te teaching those young men on the court. And guys, you are a blessing to us this morning. Your, your presence here is a blessing. And one of the things that that basketball court and that coach is trying to teach you, I know that he is, is integrity. Are you being faithful? Are you telling the truth? Are you doing what's right 
Even on the court, are you blowing up and cussing somebody out? Or are you playing hard to win, but being faithful about it? You don't have to be cruel in order to play well. You just have to practice hard, do what you've been taught, and do right. Amen? Your integrity, all of us, our integrity is tested every day. May we be found faithful. Use your wealth to prove your faithfulness and you will defeat mammon and put him under your shoes instead of having he, have him trod upon you. Then finally... Use your wealth, but love God. Now, wait a minute. Why did you say it that way? Use your wealth, but love God. It's because years ago, and I, I could not find this. I, I Googled. I tried everywhere. I remember a song back when I was a pastor in Florida near about 100 years ago. A song that said, loving things and using people versus, talks about using people and loving things rather than using things and loving people. So which do we do? Do we use our wealth to love people and to love God? Or do we use God and use people because we love our money? If we are using people, bottom line, you might be a slave to mammon if instead of loving people and using money to do it, you love money and you use people to get it. You get me? Use your money as a tool. Larry, that's what God gave it for us. For it to be a tool, not a master. Listen, mammon is a mean master. Cruel master. And he will destroy your life if you allow him, that is your money, your possessions, to rule you. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As I said, are we loving money and using people? Or loving people and using money? Use money. Make money serve you. And use money to show your love for God. Listen, God loves you. Don't miss that. I'm asking you to love God. But you need to know that God loves you. And He gave Himself for you. Money will never buy you happiness. And money will never buy you a place in heaven. Jesus has already paid for your ticket to heaven. He did that on the cross. He died for your sins and mine on the cross.
so that you could be free, so that you could have salvation, so that you could make it to heaven. The only way you make it to heaven is to admit to Jesus Christ that you are a sinner, that you've not done right, and that you don't deserve to go to heaven. Admit to Him that He is the only way that He died for you. Trust Him as Savior. Call upon His name. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Save me. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. He loves you. And if you'll do that, He'll save you. Honor Him with everything you are and everything you have. I want us to stand together. I'm going to pray. Before I pray, I just want to say to you, if there's a decision, bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to, I'm going to pray, so I want to pray with your heads, my head bowed, and our eyes closed. If you're lost, that is, you've been struggling you don't know where you'll go when you die. You don't know what life is about. All this has been frustrating, confusing, and you need help. We're here to help. God is in the room. Jesus is in the room. His Spirit is here, and I pray that He will move on your heart right now. Father, I thank you for those who've been honest enough to say, I need help with this, and I want to make a commitment today. Father, I pray that you will enable them to be faithful in the small things so that they can then be faithful in the big things. I thank you for their commitment. Help them. I'm praying for them, Father, as they just asked me to do. And Father, I pray for those in the service who've never been saved. I pray that they will take this opportunity. Slip out from where they are right now while I'm still praying. To come to the altar to find salvation. Forgiveness of sin and salvation. Lord, for those who need to make other decisions, you know and they know. And I pray that they will make those decisions. Lord, be glorified. And faith in Elor, in each of our lives, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.